Let's open up in a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, I ask right now that you would lead us and guide us as we enter your word. Father, we're beginning the season of Advent, and it is our desire, Father, this day to experience this season, to experience the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, to get a taste of what it may have been like to see the baby born in a manger, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I pray, Lord, that we would not lose sight of this glorious time of year where we commemorate our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank You, Father, for giving Him to us. We look forward to worshiping Him and worshiping You throughout this month. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I came across a hymn. It's called On Judah's Plains as Shepherds Sat. Written in 1849. I'd like to read it to you. It says, On Judah's plains as shepherds sat, watching their flocks by night, the angel of the Lord appeared, clad in celestial light. Awestruck the vision they regard, appalled with trembling fear, when thus a cherub voice divine breathed sweetly on their ear. Shepherds of Judah, cease your fears and calm your troubled mind. Glad tidings of great joy I bring to you and all mankind. This day Almighty love fulfills its great eternal word. This day is born in Bethlehem a Savior, Christ the Lord. There shall you find the heavenly babe in humblest weeds arrayed, all meanly wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger laid. He ceased, and sudden all around appeared in radiant throng of angels praising God and thus warbling their choral song. Glory to God from whom on high all gracious mercies flow, who sends His heaven-descended peace to dwell with man below. The author of this precious hymn is unknown. It first appeared in 1849 in a hymnal, a hymn book, of the General Synod of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. I read it to us today because I'd like us to experience Christmas a little differently this year. I read it to us today because I know that we all know the Christmas story all too well. We've heard it many times. Many of us could perhaps recite parts of it from the Gospels of Luke or Matthew. And so this year, as we enter a Christmas series of messages for the next three Sundays, I'm a little less interested in informing us and giving us information about Christmas. And a little more interested in helping us to experience Christmas afresh. I'm hopeful and prayerful that as we go through these these next few Sundays of messages, that we will begin to see from the eyes of three different groups of people. Three different groups of people who saw the Christ child. Three different groups of people whom the Scriptures indicate were among the first to lay eyes on the Savior Jesus Christ. The title of this three-part Christmas series is We Saw 
the Lord's Christ. The inspiration for this series title comes from Luke 2.26, in which Luke indicates that a man named Simeon was told in a vision that he would not taste death until he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And I'd like to look at three groups of people who saw the Lord's Christ. Today, I'd like to look at the shepherds from Luke 2, 8-20. Next week, we'll look at Simeon and Anna from Luke 2, 25-38. And finally, we'll look at the Magi from the East. We'll see what they saw in Matthew 2, 1-12. In all of this, I want us to see through their eyes as they looked upon the Lord's Christ. Turn to Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. We're going to go to verse 20 today. Luke 2, 8 to 20, through the eyes of the shepherds. Verse 8 begins. Now there were in the same country, excuse me, now, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch o'er their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was... With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen Him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Verse 8 again. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Not far from the center of the town of Bethlehem, country shepherds were residing in their fields. They were keeping watch over their flock, their flock of sheep, during the night hour. The text says that uh, this word keeping watch here is, is, is another way of indicating they were protecting them. They're protecting the sheep, protecting them from wild beasts, protecting them from any kind of danger that may exist. That was one of their primary tasks, to protect the sheep from danger. And as they watched over the sheep, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, stood before them. And Luke says, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. 
These same shepherds became witness to a glorious heavenly vision. An angel of the Lord, perhaps the angel Gabriel himself, spoken of in Luke chapter 1, appeared to them in a glorious display of heavenly light. The light that proceeded from this angel pierced the darkness. And the shepherds were greatly afraid. Greatly afraid. Literally in Greek it says, and they feared a great fear. They were terrified. This is an intense fear. Or as Linus from Charlie Brown puts it as he reads the King James Version, and the glory of the Lord shone about them and they were sore afraid. In truth, I cannot overstate the intensity by which this Greek phrase communicates fear. I cannot overstate it. It is the scariest kind of fear you can possibly imagine. Think of the most fearful time of your life right now. The most fearful time. When were you most afraid of all? I know quite clearly when that time was for me. It happened uh, in 2002. In fact, it happened right when Casey and I were beginning to attend Coast Bible Church. Um, I had gone off on a camp out with my buddies. And uh, the, the picture behind me in just a moment is going to be a picture of Catalina Island. And uh, you can't see it all that too, uh, too well. I hope you can see it a little bit, a little bit of cloud covering up there. But uh, toward the bottom, you see the ocean. Toward the top, uh, you can't see it now, but I'll give you an arrow. There's, uh, there's some hiking trails up there. And where that star is, we came off the hiking trails and we kind of camped literally on the side of, of a mountain. Me and my, my buddies from high school, we, we wanted to go to Catalina and just do a, do a, do a men's trip. Right? So we're camping out off the beaten path in the middle of nowhere up on the southwestern part of Catalina Island. And now below us, we can see the ocean. And uh, you can't really see the terrain as well as I'd like you to, but uh, that's pretty, pretty rugged terrain. But we got a brilliant idea. We decided to climb down, and I, I've got a little trailhead there that you can see. Uh, we, we decided it would be a great idea to start climbing down this rugged terrain toward the beachhead, which we could see at the, at the bottom of the mountain. Um, kind of like, uh, really a, a mild form of rock climbing. Parts of it were, were quite scary. Well, my buddies uh, were all uh, talented, and they were able to uh, climb down virtually no problem. Um, I was a little less talented. I got stuck, and I, I, got, I got pretty far, but I got stuck in one particular spot. I, I kind of noted it up here. Right about there. I didn't get too far. Alright? It was right about there that I got stuck. And this is an accurate picture, by the way. I'm, I'm indebted, uh, well, an accurate picture of Catalina, not of me. I'm indebted to uh, a professor at Cal State Long Beach who uh, graciously allows people to use these photos of Catalina Island. This is where we were, and this is where I was stuck. And when I say stuck, I mean stuck with the fear of God in me. I was holding on to a portion of, of the mountain that was beginning to crumble. You see, we had gone down these, these, these very, very small trail paths, but sometimes the trail would end and we'd have to make our way to another section of the trail. And in one particular spot as we were climbing down, there was about a 45 degree angle, not too, not too bad, but it was all made 
of earthen material that was crumbling. And so we're, we're going at this 45 degree angle and as we're, with each step, more rocks are beginning to fall below us. Well, as I was going about halfway through, my buddies were all ahead of me and I was the last one to go. I got stuck. I got stuck. And the rocks started crumbling and I started to go down inch by inch a little bit. And about, oh, 20 feet below me is a significant drop. A little bit more than a 45 degree angle. More like a, I don't know, 180 degree angle. Something like that. And I got stuck and I was holding on and I yelled at the guys They said, Help! And they just looked at me and they knew, they knew that they could do nothing to help me. They knew that they could do nothing to help me. We didn't have a rope. They knew that if they went out there, that the whole thing would, would literally come down. And I started shaking like I've never shaken before. I cannot explain it. My entire body shook from head to toe. And I began to sweat so profusely. And this went on for a good 60 seconds. I just shook and I sweat like crazy for 60 seconds. And then I prayed. And I said, oh Lord, I'm a newly married man. My wife is not going to take too kindly to me if I pass right now. And I asked God for help. It was the most fearful moment of my life. And somehow, some way, I don't know how, only the Lord knows. He stabilized me. I stopped shaking. I stopped sweating. And I was able to go back from where I had come and to get back on solid ground. And my buddies afterwards had a good laugh. But at the time, they were scared too. And they went on ahead and I went back to camp and I just collapsed. I was so tired, so exhausted. It was the greatest fear of my life. Now, friends, translate that kind of fear. Now, maybe some of you have had even more fear, more fearful experiences than what I had, thinking I was going to fall and die. And put that fear onto the fear that you see in verse 9 of chapter 2 of Luke. It's the dark of night, pitch black, and out of the sky, the sky recedes, and an angel descends and stands before these men. And they are fearing the greatest fear of all. That is what it feels like to be in their shoes right now. They're absolutely terrified of what they are seeing. Absolutely terrified. Turning back to the text, they were greatly afraid. This was a very common reaction to an angel. Zacharias was greatly afraid in Luke 1.13. Mary was greatly afraid in Luke 1.30. Sometimes I wonder if uh, angelic experiences that some people think of that are, that some people speak of that are peaceful, sometimes I question the, the legitimacy of them because all I see in Scripture when an angel appears are terrifying experiences. If only for a moment. But then verse 10 goes on. He says, the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day 
in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The news the angel declared was good news. It was not fearful news. It was joyful news. News of joy for all people. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now we should realize, we should recognize, folks, that the news, this news in verse 11 of Luke 2, this news that was declared to the shepherd by the angel was the greatest possible news a Jewish man could hear. It was the greatest possible news a Jewish man could hear at this time. In essence, the shepherds were being told that the highlight, the epitome, the climax, the main event of the Old Testament to which they were instructed every Sabbath day had just occurred. And they were the first to know about it. The main event of the Scriptures had just happened. And these lowly shepherds, upon seeing the angel descend and stand before them, were told the greatest news in the history of all the world. And they were among the first to know about it. Now, we talked about fear for a moment. What about that sentiment of being the first to know? What does it feel like to be the first to know some great information? What is it like to be the first person to be aware of something that is significant? I think I can only best illustrate this uh, uh, by a little game called Wheel of Fortune. Joyce, uh, I'd like you to hit it here for me. Okay, ready? Here we go. We're going to play a little game. Now, the first to know this answer is going to win a prize. Alright, Joyce? You guys ready to play? This is exciting. Okay, next slide. Ready? Here we go. This is a category. Coming up. Okay, you ready? Now, hold on, hold on. Before we get there, before we get there. Now, again, if you're the first to know, this is a significant moment. Okay? So, when you know the answer, what I want you to do is, is shout it out. Okay? The category is Christmas song. You're going to see the, uh, the, the consonants and vowels uh, one by one. This is the speed round. Alright? Ready? Begin. Shout it out when you know it. Yes! We got a winner! Give him a hand! Alright, Jeremy! A nice candy cane. Way to go, man. Let me shake your hand. Give him another hand. Come on, that was incredible. Now, now, folks, Jeremy was the first. He was the first to know the answer to the question. Now, don't you all think he's about the coolest man in this, in this sanctuary right now? I mean, the level of significance that this man now has transcends all of, all of the other worth in this room. I mean, being the first to know is something exciting. It's thrilling. It's exhilarating. Now, granted, this is a uh, 
pathetic game show illustration that demonstrates what it feels like to be the first to know. You'll have to ask Jeremy what it felt like after the service. But friends, this is just a little taste. A little taste of what it feels like to be the first to know the information. These lowly shepherds were the first to hear word that the Christ child had been born. Imagine their level of excitement. Imagine their level of exhilaration. Returning to verse 10 and 11, I mean, these men were in awe of this news. They were in awe of this news. It was the greatest news they've ever heard. And they knew that with this knowledge, people would look upon them and say, wow, what a story. What a story you're telling me today. Now, on a more serious note, for just a moment, setting the, the fear aside which we've had and the exhilaration aside which we've had, I want to ask a, a question about the, the biblical text here today. Something that caught my attention for a little bit. And that is this. Why is Jesus' physical birth first proclaimed to the shepherds? Have you ever considered this? Uh, if you go through the chronology, if you combine uh, Matthew and Luke, it is uh, the best evidence shows that, that the first proclamation of His birth, that is to say after He was born, not prior to, but after the birth of Christ, um, the first proclamation of His birth was given to shepherds. Could there be any significance to that? Could there be any significance to the notion that shepherds as a people group were among the first to know of the birth of the Messiah. Um, truth be told, we can only speculate. Um, the Scriptures do not say definitively why it was that the shepherds were told first. However, however, if you look at the shepherd motif in the Scriptures, if you look at the way in which the Scriptures speak of shepherds as a people group, and use shepherds as a metaphor we find something significant. And we find some, perhaps, meaning and significance to why the shepherds may have been among the first to know that Christ had been born. Now, shepherding was a very common job in the ancient Near East, a line of work that everyone was accustomed to. And so, the Lord used shepherding as an illustration many, many times. God used it in the Old Testament. We're going to see in a moment. Jesus used it in the New Testament. Now, in particular, a shepherd from a metaphorical standpoint, was often likened to a leader or a teacher. Sometimes as God Himself as the shepherd or as Jesus Himself as the shepherd. And other times it referred to human leaders as shepherds or human rulers or human teachers. Now the sheep, on the other hand, the other side of the coin, were naturally likened to the people under whom the shepherd would lead or rule, or teach, or oversee. Now, unfortunately, the shepherds or leaders of Israel, from a historical standpoint, were not always properly executing their duties in the sight of the Lord. In fact, the Old Testament prophets were often seen declaring the failure of the shepherds of Israel. Let me say that again. The Old Testament prophets were often seen declaring the failure of the Old Testament shepherds of Israel. 
these failing shepherds were often ignoring their flock, or worse, they were intentionally leading them astray. I'd like to read one such metaphor uh, found in Ezekiel 34. This is a lengthy passage, but I want you to stick with it because there is great significance to it. Look at the metaphor that God is laying before us in Ezekiel 34 about the, the shepherds of Israel of the 6th century B.C. Take a look. It says this in Ezekiel 34. We're taking selections from verses 1 to 24. And the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatling, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered throughout all the mountains, and on every high hill, yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. And no one was seeking or searching for them. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. The second time He said that. I will require My flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep. And the shepherds, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver My flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I Myself will search out for My sheep and seek them out. And I will bring out, excuse me, verse 13, and I will bring them out from the peoples and, and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. Verse 14, I will feed them in good pasture and their folds shall be on the high mountains of Israel. They shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture. Psalm 23. On the mountains of Israel, I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down in green pastures, says the Lord. I will establish one shepherd, one shepherd over them and He shall feed them. My servant David, He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. Ezekiel 34, as we, as we leave that on the screen there, like many other, many other Old Testament texts before it and after it, demonstrate the moral and the spiritual collapse of the shepherds. The political And the spiritual leaders of Israel failed them. And with their demise and their inability to lead God's people in the path of righteousness, so also the flock, the people under them, the people of Israel were scattered throughout all the earth. 
They were like a sheep without a shepherd. And so God declares in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, God declares that He's going to establish one shepherd over Israel. One shepherd who will feed His sheep. My servant David. Clear reference to the coming Messiah of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. This shepherd will be unlike the many shepherds who preceded him and were unable to lead God's people. This shepherd will heal the sick sheep, bind up the broken sheep, seek and find the lost sheep. He will succeed in all the ways the shepherds of Israel before him had failed. Why is it? Why is it that God saw fit to declare His Son's birth to shepherds first, keeping watch over their flocks by night? Could it be? Could it be? Because He was declaring to His people that the baby lying in the manger was to be the chief shepherd of Israel. We cannot prove these things to be true, but there must be some significance to this fact. That shepherds were among the first to see the Lord's Christ. Perhaps God in Christ was telling these shepherds and the people of Israel through these shepherds, Behold, your your eyes are looking upon the shepherd of shepherds. You know, I I read uh, Ezekiel 34 and and the shepherd motif. And... uh, as some of you know, uh, shepherd is also um, the term used for pastor by Paul in Ephesians 4. Same word. You could say that uh, God gave to the church uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Because it's the same word there, only in the New Testament Greek we translate it pastor. And I'm reminded that uh, as I read the Christmas story and as I see shepherds going to Jesus first, that Could it be that that God is saying through the shepherds who were seeing Christ for the first time to the people of Israel, see, here's the shepherd. This is the shepherd. All the other shepherds prior to largely failed. And uh, it reminds me as a pastor, and I know uh, it reminds the leaders of this church that uh, shepherds fail a lot. Shepherds in the Old Testament failed again and again and again. The rulers of Israel, by and large, failed them. And a pastor, this side of the cross of Christ, who uh, shepherds a flock of people in the church, uh, must be reminded and... uh, must, must bring to his remembrance that by and large, the vast majority of shepherds failed their people. Got to stay the course when you're a shepherd of the people. I ask you to pray for me and pray for our elders and pray for the shepherds of this church. Because by and large, shepherds fail. By and large, shepherds fail the people of Israel. And so God sent Christ to be the chief shepherd. And He is today the chief shepherd. He is my shepherd. And He's entrusted to under-shepherds the duties of leading the church. 
So I ask that you would pray for us as shepherds. Um, a little unique twist to the to this vision uh, to the shepherds seeing Christ for the first time. Perhaps there's some significance there. Let's move on. In returning to our text in Luke 2, the angels give a sign to the shepherds, a point of fact by which they could be sure that what they had seen and heard was truly from God and not merely a delusion. Take a look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Verse 12, it says, And this will be the sign to you. They've declared, they've declared in verse 11 the greatest news in the history of the world. The Messiah has been born. And I think the angel probably knew quite well that these men were thinking to themselves, am I going crazy seeing this? Am I mad? Am I seeing a delusion? Am I within my own mind? And so the angel said, I want to give you a sign. I want to give you a point of fact by which you can measure what I'm saying to you. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. They said that they'd find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The manger, or feed stall, was the unique sign that the angel spoke of. It's quite natural, of course, to see a newborn babe wrapped in cloth. Uh, That's not uh, an unnatural sight. That's not a unique sight in the ancient Near East after a baby had been born. What was unnatural, what was highly unique, what was especially extraordinary, was to see that this newborn babe was sleeping in a manger, in a feed trough, in a place where animals would go to eat their food. So before the shepherds run into Bethlehem to see this baby, to see this the heavenly vision, uh, excuse me, to see the, the sign of which the angel proclaimed, before they're able to leave the scene, the angels break out, however, in another explosion of glory. Take a look at verse 13. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. As if uh, one angel had not brought upon these shepherds the greatest fear that they had ever experienced. This heavenly vision ends with the clouds peeling back a little bit more to reveal an innumerable multitude of angels shouting in worship and in praise to God, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And with this incredible momentary burst of worship and praise, the glory of the heavens recede back and the dark of night again overcomes the shepherds in the field. I'm trying to put myself in their shoes at this moment. And I don't know about you, but having, uh, having experienced the most dreadful fear of my life, having been face to face with an angel of God, having seen the dark of night instantly transformed into a glorious light, having been told the greatest news in the history of the world, 
having been informed of the very birthplace of the Lord's Christ, having witnessed the most glorious, the most overwhelming moment of praise and worship in all of my life, I think it is only fitting that when the angels had left these mere shepherds, that they ran like crazy into Bethlehem. I think it's safe to say that once again, when the angels had receded back into the sky, that once again it was true in Israel that the sheep were left without their shepherd. Because the shepherds were hightailing it into Bethlehem to see if these things were so. And so we pick up the story in verse 17. Excuse me, in verse 15. It says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now, now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. They ran like mad, might be my translation. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. You know, backing up a little bit, I, maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't leave the flock entirely. You know, maybe they left like the freshman shepherd back to keep watch over them. You know, poor chap. You know, I mean, this guy he lost out on seeing the Christ child. Luke says they came with haste. They ran into Bethlehem. What a moment in their lives! They're running into town, running past any known locations where animals may have been feeding. Alas, in one meager stall not far from the local inn, they come upon the baby of whom the angel spoke. Verse 17. Verse 17. Now when they had seen Him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds arrive on scene and they confirm to Mary and to Joseph and to all who would listen, presumably after the fact, but perhaps there were some who had gathered around the baby at that time. They confirmed to all who would listen about their vision they had received from the sky. And all who heard them marveled. Marveled, it says in verse 18. They were jaw-dropped. They were in awe at what the shepherds recounted. Now, I, I, would be, I, would, I would be in awe to have a, a friend or an associate come to me and say, you're never going to believe what I saw. You're never going to believe what I saw. I saw an angel of God tell me that this baby would be here. I saw the greatest moment of worship this side of heaven. Goosebumps just don't do it justice, you know. I think that the people in that manger scene, the people in that feed 
feeding area of animals. We're just... uh, Had no way of saying the joy and the elation and the perplexion and the amazement with which they were experiencing. They just marveled. They just marveled at these things. And Luke goes on to talk about Mary just very briefly. He says, Mary in particular, when she heard the things spoken of by the shepherds, she pondered them in her heart. She kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The word pondered there is, uh, is a great Greek word. Sumbalusa, meaning to think or to consider or to muse about or to be pensive about. Mary was trying to put all the pieces together. Trying to wrap her mind around the incredible significance of this day. The incredible significance of her child whom she had bore moments ago. She had known for many months that the child in her womb was to be the Christ. So we read in Luke 1. And so, in a sense, she was a bit past uh, that initial stage of of inexpressible joy and exhilaration. Uh, She was anticipating this to an extent. And so she, a little bit unlike the rest, was a little more pensive. What will happen now to my baby? How will the Messiah bring about deliverance? How will my boy, the Christ, usher in salvation? What will be the means by which this will happen? What will be the events in his life that will take place? You've got to remember, we read the Scriptures... Uh, looking back at what happened. And she's looking upon the baby, not knowing what lies ahead. Uh, Sure, it is true that the Old Testament prophets speak about the suffering of the Messiah and the death of the Messiah. But by and large, the Jews, as a people group in the first century, weren't paying attention to those scriptures. They weren't noticing those scriptures. They didn't quite know how to combine this idea of a glorious Davidic king who would overthrow Rome and put Israel back on the throne with a Messiah who dies and who suffers and who is given over for 30 pieces of silver. Um, Combining those two elements in the scriptures for them was nearly, nearly impossible. So Mary was pensive. She had no idea what lie ahead for her son. Soon the time came for the shepherds and the crowds to depart. Time had come for the child to rest and the family to rest. And so Luke concludes in verse 20. He says, Then the shepherds returned, presumably to the field, here to the flock, to the freshman shepherd. 
glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. As they left the scene, they continued to praise and glorify God for all they had seen and heard. Everything was exactly exactly as it had been told them by the angel. The vision was true. This was not merely a fanciful, fictional dream. With their own eyes, with their own eyes, they were among the first to see the Lord's Christ. On Judah's plains, as shepherds sat, watching their flocks by night, an angel of the Lord appeared, clad in celestial light, awestruck, the vision they regard, appalled with trembling fear, when thus a cherub voice divine breathed sweetly on their ear, Shepherds of Judah, cease your fears and calm your troubled mind. Glad tidings of great joy I bring to you and all mankind. This day Almighty love fulfills its great eternal word. This day is born in Bethlehem a Savior, Christ the Lord. There shall you find the heavenly babe in humblest weeds arrayed, all meanly wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a manger laid. He ceased, and suddenly all around appeared a radiant throng of angels praising God and thus warbling their choral song. Glory to God, from whom on high all gracious mercies flow, who sends His heaven descended peace to dwell with man below. May we see and hear and experience the Lord's Christ afresh this Christmas season. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, O oh God, we, we cannot put to words the way in which Your Word draws us in to the birth of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And even more so, we cannot even imagine how inexpressible it must have been for the shepherds among the first to see the Lord's Christ. How inexpressible it must have been for them to attempt to communicate all that they had seen and heard and been witness of. And Father, we know these stories. We know these stories. We've heard them before. We sing about them in this Advent season. But I ask, Lord, that, that, that this Christmas season we'd read them afresh. That Your Spirit would help us to see them afresh and to experience Christmas anew. And again, perhaps for the first time, may we never lose the awe that comes from knowing that Your Son has been born, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and He has come to take away sin and to take away death and to tell us to come home to You. Thank You that by faith in Christ we can come home, Father. I thank You that it's nothing we can do.